Bork, right? With a K? Bork. Okay, a hard K. Okay, make sure I get that right. Well, anyone whose name is Command <laughs> needs to get surnames right. Fair. Hello, everyone. I am Captain Justin Command, and I'd like to welcome you to something a little bit different on the Battlefield Next network of podcasts. You all have, I'm sure, heard of the world-famous, hard-hitting, cutting-edge discussions on society and technology known as TED Talks. Well, we don't own any fancy skinny microphones. We can't trade in our OCPs for black turtlenecks, but we can and will bring to you a segment fondly known as Fred Talks. Mr. Fred Bork is the United States Army JAG Corps' regimental historian and I would venture has more institutional knowledge of the Army and the JAG Corps than most past and present. The goal is to present to you, our listeners, with a bit more informal and shorter version of our mainstay podcast, Battlefield Next. We will look to publish these Fred Talks weekly and build off the substance and theme of our central monthly podcast. Or sometimes we'll just go off on a 10-minute tangent about whatever it is we would like to discuss that day. But in either case, you can only succeed on the battlefields of tomorrow if you learn about the battlefields of yesterday. So today, it's time to sit back, relax, grab your beverage of choice, and settle in for our very first Fred Talk. Sir, it is exciting to have you on the very first ever Fred Talk, and thank you for joining us uh, from the Nolan Reading Room in the heart of the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School in beautiful Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, you've just heard me record some opening lines, say some really great things about you and this program. So before we get started on the topic of the day, I really just want to know how do you feel about having your own series developed and, uh, and named after you, Fred Talks? Well, Captain Command, uh, good morning to you as well, and, and thank you for inviting me. And hey, this is exciting. I mean, it's a chance for me to talk for 10 minutes, and maybe people will learn something. And if not, it's only 10 minutes. Um, but I do think there's some good topics to talk about, and so I, I'm very grateful to you and honored to be invited to do this. And this is the first TED Talk, and we're going to talk about the metamorphosis of the JAG Corps, which is a a major theme in our history. Yeah, exactly, sir. So so with that, with that metamorphosis, where where do we start? So I want us really start by talking about the metamorphosis beginning in the Vietnam era, uh, in the 60s and the 70s, and the change then comes over really the last 50 years uh, in really changing what judge advocates and the judge advocate general's core does. So let me start by saying that in the 60s and the 70s, being a judge advocate and being in the Corps was all about criminal law. In, uh, in 1969, we tried 59,000 courts martialed. In 1979, 10 years later, uh, we tried 9,000 courts martialed, so a huge drop, but still a lot of cases. 1989, we tried 4,000. 1999, we tried about 1,000 courts martial. So I'm talking about 
generals, special BCDs, straight specials, and I'm also including summaries. And then last year, we tried fewer than 500 courts martial. So if you were a judge advocate in the 60s or the 70s, it would not be unusual for you to try 10 cases a week, um, 100 a year, maybe more. You'll often hear these old timers uh, in a generation even before me talk about how, oh, I tried 200 cases one year. So it was all about criminal law. So one of the first questions you have to answer is, well, well, what happened? Why did the cases drop off so suddenly? Right. That's. I mean, that is like back of the envelope map. That's 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 one percent of what they were trying at at some point uh, in the Vietnam era. And so I think I think Captain Command, there there are a number of reasons for this, and I'll go over them quickly. The first one is is that prior to August first, nineteen sixty nine, when the Military Justice Act of nineteen sixty eight came into effect. There were no judge advocates at special courts. All special courts were tried by line officers. And many, all brigade commanders and some battalion commanders could convene special courts. So, uh, I mean, let's be honest. How hard is it to try a court-martial if there are no lawyers involved? (laughs) Makes things a lot easier, I'll tell you that much. And so that's reason there were more courts-martial. It was also a very different army in the 60s and the 70s, uh, early 70s. We still were a draftee army, which meant that there were a lot of soldiers who didn't want a soldier and consequently were, let's just say, had the lack of discipline or less discipline that we'd expect from the volunteer army today. Another thing that is rarely talked about, but I think it's a factor, When I came in the Army in the 1970s, 50 years ago, every single installation had its own post stockade run by the NPs. So if, for example, you had a soldier who went AWOL for two or three days, you did a quick special court-martial, you went AWOL for three days, you get three days in the post stockade, and then you'd return to duty. So we did a lot of these courts-martial with confinement because everyone had a post stockade. But in the 80s, by the end of the 80s, I think we'd gotten rid of almost all the post stockades. We had the regional confinement facilities. And so it really wasn't easy anymore to do a quick special uh, that we would do, say, in the 60s. And then I think one of the law of unintended consequences is that It was better for the system for judge advocates to be trial and defense counsel at special courts, but the law of unintended consequences was that commanders now no longer saw courts martial as their tool, but instead began more and more to see it as something that lawyers did. So when I came into the JAG Corps in 1980, over 40 years ago, it would be not be unusual for a brigade commander in discussions with me to say, hey, judge, you know, when I was a lieutenant, I tried 25 courts martial because he'd been a defense counsel or a trial counsel at a special court. So fast forward to today, commanders really see courts martial as pure lawyer stuff. And so that's, I think, also one of the reasons that rates have gone down, because commanders see 
administrative separations and administrative things as being a way to handle soldier and discipline rather than courts martial. Right, right. And especially as, you know, average captain today looks at maybe nine to 10 trials a year uh, as maybe a high number that they're seeing in terms of contested courts martial. Uh, And it's also, I think, on topic as we look at um, potentials for for a military justice redesign and what is the commander's and what is a, a a lawyer's. I think it's it's absolutely on topic that we've already visited this you know forty or, or fifty years ago. Well, I think you're right, and it's it's trend. Uh, it's a trend to more and more uh, build due process in the system, which in general I think as lawyers we we like. But the the corollary is it means less and less command involvement. So on the one side, then, if we're talking about the metamorphosis of the JAG Corps, there's this tremendous decline in what was once a real reason for existing in the Army, which was to try courts martial. Um, totally unrelated to that, but connected to this metamorphosis, is the emergence of operational law, which today is our real raison d'etre, to use the French word term, our reason for being. And so we lost our chief mission of military justice, but fortunately for us as a Corps, we developed operational law, which I think we can all agree is probably even more important because it's moved the JAG Corps to the center of the Army rather than being on the periphery, because we now use our talents and abilities as judge advocates to help commanders achieve mission success. I've said this for years. I think that the development of operational law grows directly out of the massacre, the war crime, uh, the atrocity at My Lai in March of 1968, when uh, Lieutenant Kelly and his platoon murdered at least 350 unarmed and unresisting Vietnamese civilians, old men, women, and children. It was a shocking war crime. Uh, The American public could not believe that a soldier, an American soldier, could murder this many civilians. Um, But the JAG Corps was stung by criticism uh, after My Lai that it had not done enough to educate soldiers on their rights and responsibilities under the law of armed conflict. And so the JAG Corps leadership uh, in the mid-70s, looking for a way to prevent another Milai in the future, decided that it was time for judge advocates to get involved in operations. And so in, uh, in 1974, the judge advocate general of the Army, uh, George Prue, went to... DOD and said, let's create a law of war program. And that's the emergence, essentially, of of operational law as as we know it today. Yes, I think that's true. That's the genesis of the idea that lawyers should be involved in some way in military operations. So, and that's really significant because prior to this time, if you'd said to a lawyer, do you want to do a a judge advocate? Do you want to do a legal review of my Uh, planned operation in the Korean War or World War II, people would have said, why would I do that? So, for example, was there a judge advocate review of President Truman's decision to drop atomic bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima? No, of course not, because 
nobody thought about a legal review. So the real wake-up call for the JAG Corps came in 1983, when, during Operation Urgent Fury, the invasion of the small Caribbean island of Grenada, the staff judge advocate at the 82nd Airborne Division, a lieutenant colonel by the name of Quentin Richardson, talked his way onto the assault command post the night before the 82nd, elements of the 82nd were going to go in Grenada. Richardson went, and when he got on the ground in Grenada, there were all sorts of legal issues that did come up that needed a judge advocate's advice. And so that's the real kick for operational law, an institutional recognition that if we were going to be relevant in military operations, we had to go with commanders. Right. And now today we have majors, captains, and and paralegals embedded at even as low as the battalion level for our paralegals and and, and captains at the brigade. And, And Captain Command, that's exactly right. After Grenada, this was a real wake-up call. The JAG Corps said, hey, we need to push our assets down. If the brigade combat team is the new building block, we need to push judge advocates down as BCTJAs. And so today, uh, every BCT has two or three judge advocates when it deploys, seven paralegals, all with the idea that if we are going to be relevant and if we are going to help commanders achieve mission success, we have to go with them. So the metamorphosis of the JAG Corps then is this emergence of operational law and the idea really that if we are going to, as judge advocates and as a Corps, be the biggest help we can, we need to be involved in operations. Right. And that and that leaves us at this kind of crossroads that uh, the JAG Corps will face likely in the coming months as it faces uh, the potential for military justice redesign, also combined with the need to continue this operational baseline. And at this fork of the road, is there at some point too much that you put on a JA's plate? Or is this all something that we can balance? And I think those are the questions that the Corps asks itself. I think those are are really good questions, Um, and I would just leave everyone with this uh, thought. Um, Maybe in the mid-'80s, there was some resistance from commanders about lawyers being involved in military operations, but I think that was just chiefly because having grown up in the Vietnam era where lawyers were not involved in military operations, commanders sometimes thought, well, Maybe a lawyer is going to be more of an obstacle than a help. But I think we can all agree today that commanders value judge advocates in their commands, on their staffs, and they actually see us uh, as really a big benefit. In fact, commanders have said to me, I don't want to deploy if I don't have a judge advocate available or going with me. So I would argue that operational law is here to stay. It's probably stronger than ever. But I think your questions are good ones, which is how much is too much. Thanks, Mr. Bork. Appreciated. Appreciated the first uh, Fred talk in the books. 17 minutes, but you know what? Uh, That's not too bad for the first one. So I think we're going to be all right, uh, especially after a little bit of uh, post-production magic. So thank you. Thanks for taking part. And uh, hopefully we can make this a recurring uh, theme and, and have some exciting topics for the rest of the month. All right. You're welcome. See you next week. Thanks, sir.
Interested in providing material to the JAG Corps' future concepts directorate? Reach out to us via Twitter at JAGFCD or LinkedIn or visit our website at tjaglix.army.mil forward slash FCD. That's tjaglcs.army.mil forward slash FCD. We are always on the lookout for the next guest, topic, discussion, or, yes, even the next Fred Talk. As always, the views expressed in this podcast are those of the respective participants and do not represent the official position of the U.S. Army or the United States government. You can only succeed on the battlefields of tomorrow if you first learn about the battlefields of yesterday. So thank you for joining us today. For the JAG Corps Future Concepts Directorate, I am Captain Justin Command. We'll catch you on the next episode of Fred Talks.